Good morning, VCBC. It's definitely an interesting transition. And I just want to say before I go on with my message that uh, Gilbert has been a great mentor to me and a great coworker and a great friend. So you will definitely be missed and look forward to just our lives will continue to be for, for each other and we'll cross paths hopefully along the way. So continue to work together until you start on your next journey. So thank you, Gilbert and ladies. So today, I um, just want to talk a little bit as I'm researching on what to share about. And this idea popped out to me that there's been a interesting internet phenomenon where uh, as I was looking at what to talk about and this thing popped up in one of my news feeds and it's a comic strip that has been circulated on the internet and it's quite funny but at the same time quite relevant. So this thing is called Strange Aliens. So what they did was they put a lot of um, our really weird cultural norms and projected as if we are from a foreign land looking inward in this planet. And so this particular one is pretty interesting. I talked about how the idea that these two aliens are talking and, and they start gloating at each other. It's like, look, look how, how good I am by being burned by this near star in, in, in our solar system. And then I feel I'm more attractive by having more skin burns on my, on my, on my, on my body. And then it's like, oh, it's all the star damage. And it's like, oh, I crave star damage. So if you don't notice the trend, it's talking about the idea of uh, being tanned and how technically it's actually not very good to be tanned, but people pursue these kinds of things to, to, to gloat or to, to feel good. And there's a whole series of these on the internet about things that we do that we take as norm, but as outsiders, they might think is pretty weird. And that kind of ties in with the title of um, today's sermon on the idea of weird flexing. So the term flexing is almost like you're going to the gym and you're like, I guess, uh, where's Matt? Matt's not here. Oh, here, 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 here now. So, so when you try to, like, flex, I can't. I don't have, I don't have enough muscles. <laughs> like, but yeah, like, when people are trying to flex and, and kind of show off and, and, and kind of intimidate people around them to, to show them how, how strong or how powerful they are, right? But the funny thing is sometimes you realize that people flex and try to show off, but technically it's more like an insult to themselves uh, rather, than, rather than flexing to, to show off. And, and recently there's this thing that was uh, being shared on the, around Christmas time on the internet, and there's almost like the ultimate flex. There was this thing that went viral where... Um, a store selling this packaged thing uh, as a gift for Christmas, and it's technically just a packaged box of nothing. It talks about like the joy of having nothing, and and people would buy it and give it to people, saying that, oh, um, since you have everything, I'll buy you this thing of nothing, just to say, oh, you're so you're so like successful, you're so good. But technically, it's almost like a diss, like I'm not giving you anything at all. But apparently, it's a thing. So. So, so that's how weird flex goes. But when you think about in our own lives that this weird flexing is quite rampant, especially in our modern culture, 
where it's almost like there's this masochistic joy of being busy that when you talk to somebody, every time you catch up with somebody, and you're like, oh, how are you doing? Like, how are things? And usually the first response is like, busy. As though, like, you almost sound like you're trying to diss yourself, and at the same time you're trying to, to show up that, oh, I have so much to do, I'm so busy, I have my schedule is all packed, and, and my life is fruitful because I'm busy doing a bunch of different things. That 27, there's something off the schedule. And, and, and the challenge is, like, we pursue this, and we, we, we don't look at it as something that is terrible, that we feel a little less of ourselves if we're wasting time, that we sit there and do nothing, that, that, that you almost feel inferior. If someone talks to you and you're like, what are you up to? I'm like, um, I'm not doing anything. You kind of half awkwardly tell it to them. And so why are we talking about this? So today, the passage that we're looking at actually talks about Sabbath and the idea of um, keeping Sabbath as a command from God. But what exactly is Sabbath? Like, from our learning in the church, usually the term Sabbath just means rest. Like, we do nothing for that day, and we just create the space so that we don't work or we don't do chores or we don't do anything that requires a lot of labor. But the term Sabbath, which is Shabbat in uh, Hebrew, it's um, kind of like Chinese where when you look at these letters in the Hebrew alphabet, when they put together, it's kind of like a pictogram where each letter represents something. And when you put it together, it conveys a special or a small uh, phrase to convey an idea. And so the word Sabbath is actually three different letters, and it talks about the idea that um, you need to consume or destroy something. And then the middle letter, Bates, which means the house or family. And the last letter, the Tates, is actually the same letter as Torah, which is the law or the covenant. So together, this word actually means to destroy something as a family, as part of a covenant. You must go like, how does that have to do with rest? If we have to go as a family to go and break or destroy something. And so if you look deeper, you dig deeper in this word, when you put these three ideas together, it's actually a way to fulfill our covenant that when we come as a family, we go gather together to do nothing as a way to destroy chaos in this world. That the whole principle of Sabbath is that by doing nothing, by not acting upon the things that we, we, we are desiring to do, that we let God be in control. And that by having God in control, that we don't let chaos take control of our own lives. Still a little vague, still a little abstract, right? So we'll unpack it a little bit more, but let's look at the passage that we're looking at today. It's a little weird, so let's look at it together. So it says that while the Israelites, so this is um, at a time when these people are in the wilderness and they are wandering around and they just heard these laws that Moses was reading out to the people about what to do, what not to do, 
how you become part of Israel, how you get kicked out as part of Israel. So as they introduce these laws, so there's a story that happened that while they're in the wilderness, there was a man who was found gathering wood on the Sabbath day. So he went out and just gathered a bunch of woods. Maybe he's trying to burn something, cook a fire, or start a fire, whatever that is. And so people found him gathering wood and brought him to Moses and Aaron and the whole assembly. And they kept him in custody because it was not clear what to be done to them. So they realized that, okay, there's a guy that is clearly doing something that they're not supposed to do. But this is the first time that this has ever happened when they got introduced to the law. So they're confused. They're like, okay, well, if no one knows what we should do, let's bring them to the highest officials. Maybe they know what they can do with, these, uh, with this guy, right? So this guy got brought before them. And so then they asked the Lord to, to figure out, okay, what should we do to this guy? And then this is where it gets crazy. So the Lord said to Moses, the man must die. You're like, whoa, 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 wait a minute. Like, he was just gathering wood, and you said, this guy has to die, what? But then these people didn't question, they didn't think too much, and they're like, okay, the whole assembly then decide, okay, we must stone this guy outside to camp. And you need to know that stoning is actually a very horrible way of execution, that everyone would pick up a pretty big piece of rock, and they would chuck him, chuck like chuck these rocks at them, like a, like a firing range. And it's not like two, three people chucking rocks. Like imagine there's 150 or so people like here, and there's me standing here. If I say something wrong, you'll be like, okay, I need to stone this guy. And then you all pick up like a rock this size and chuck it in my face. Like that's a very horrible way to die, right? So it's really painful. So these guys actually follow along and they took him outside the camp and stoned him to death, just as the Lord has commanded Moses. And so you must be thinking, like, why so serious? Like, what's going on? This guy was just picking up wood in the forest. Why do we need to kill this guy? When, like, there's all these crazier things that people have done in in the, in the times, they didn't get punished by death. Like, they didn't stone to death. Like, why this guy? And you look through the whole book of Numbers, there's so many instances where people don't know what to do and they talk to the Lord. And usually they're like, oh, they need to be punished. But this is the only instance where some guy did something like this and then the Lord would tell the people, stone him to death. And they're like, what? So, why is this such a big deal? Like, why... Do we need to kill a guy for breaking Sabbath? Like, is Sabbath really life and death? And so if you want to know why people react so strongly, or even why God reacts so strongly, we need to look into what is the purpose of instituting Sabbath in this community. I mean, there's that whole spectrum of like, why execute a person and that would take a long time to explain and that is probably tabled for another time. But today let's look at why exactly Sabbath is such a big deal in the community of God and why they held such a high regard for it. So the most important thing about Sabbath is actually not the idea of rest itself, but the identity 
that they get from practicing Sabbath. The Israel community, community is actually the only community in the whole Near East culture, like in the whole Middle East, Egypt, everywhere, that they practice this custom of not working on this particular day every seven days. And part of that is to distinguish themselves. Like this is an identity that they hold, that they're, if they practice Sabbath, it's a way to identify them as the people of God. That if you don't practice Sabbath, you are essentially saying you're rebelling against God. That you're no longer following the God as the way that you are supposed to. And you might think, wow, that sounds really weird. Like, why does God need us to do this thing? It still doesn't solve the question. But this is where you realize that identity is a big deal for them. Just backtrack a little bit, right? Like about 20, 30 or so years ago that these are the same people that were slaves in Egypt. And what do slaves do? Their identity is to work. That all their lives, their worth is just from working for the slave masters. And the moment you can't work anymore, the moment you don't work anymore, you're a worthless thing to the slave master, right? Like, that's why they keep you. That's why they, they own you, so that you can do work for them. And so, for an Israelite, back in that day, they must work and make sure they continue to work as a way to survive. If they don't work, if they either rebel or they're too sick or they're too uh, unhealthy to contribute, then they're no longer worthy and they'll be discarded or killed or, 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 or just punished because why would a slave owner feed or put resources on someone that they don't get value out of, right? And so that's kind of the culture that all their lives from birth to death while they're slaves, they're just constantly working ever since they're able. And so that's kind of the identity they've built. But as we know in Exodus, that this chain was broken the moment God delivered them from the Pharaoh and they crossed the Red Sea and even the song as we sang before, right, like a long time ago, that like no longer slaves, that they are no longer slaves physically and spiritually. And so as a result of that, their identity is no longer a slave. They're no longer tied to working but rather the identity is now with God. That their worth and their sense of belonging and their sense of pride now rests in God and not the things they do. And so we fast forward and we go to where we are at at today's passage, that when people are working then, it's almost like saying they're no longer worshipping this God that they're no longer resting their identity in God, but in the things that they built value in, whether it may be the things they gather or the things they do. And when you think about it, it's pretty dangerous because if you go to the extreme sense that as you build your identity in work, that means this is the thing that gives you joy. This is the thing that gives you a sense of purpose. This is the thing that you measure against other people whether or not you're worthy or not. 
And humans are very good at comparing people, as you would learn from some Asian parents. That, especially in Chinese New Year, there's this idea of humble bragging or weird flexing, as you say, where parents would talk to other parents and be like, "Oh, how, how's your child doing?" And like, "Oh, nothing much. Like they." Have been underachieving. They only went to Princeton. They didn't go to Harvard, so like it's not that good. Like, how about your kid? I heard that um, yeah, he's trying really hard, but he only got into UBC. So um, yeah, so hard things. Like, you realize that people, even like parents, build their worth sometimes around their kids' accomplishments, and it kind of projects where our sense of worth is what we can do and what we can accomplish, and the moment. It's all good and beautiful when we can accomplish things, but this is where the idolatry comes in, right? Like the moment if we fail, the moment when we no longer live up to the standards that the world or ourselves put on ourselves, then there's that danger that oh, like, am I not worthy? Like you start questioning your sense of worth, and you start thinking, oh, like I'm so little because I can't accomplish anything in my own life. And 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 that's kind of the worship culture that we worship. That we're no longer worshiping the Creator. We're no longer putting our identity and glory in the Creator. We're putting it in the things that we try to do with our own hands. And so even the passage of Sabbath is quite familiar when you go to the New Testament. When we look at the Gospel of Mark. Where there's that whole Sabbath controversy that Jesus himself talked about Sabbath, where he would you think he would break Sabbath, and and then all these teachers, all these leaders, all these priests would come after him and accuse him, like, why are you breaking Sabbath? You are no longer um, a good teacher. That you're leading people away from what God wants us to do. But especially in Mark. You know that there are stories where Jesus was uh, having himself and his disciples plucking grain from a field, or even the most um, famous example of Jesus healing on the Sabbath day, that he's working on Sabbath. Like, how can you do that? You're not supposed to work. And that is Jesus' most famous reply, right? The Sabbath was made for men, not man for Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. The Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. And this is where this idea of Sabbath really hits home. That a lot of times we think about Sabbath as just about rest. It's all about not doing anything, what, what to do, what not to do, or some things are taboo. That if you look at the Jewish culture, they said they can't even walk more than like two, three kilometers because that's work. Or they can't lift anything more than a certain weight, because that's work. But Jesus is trying to remind these people in Israel that Sabbath becomes an idolatry if you worship what you accomplish, like what you're trying to do, that you're faithful and, and you are worthy just by fulfilling certain things. But Jesus is trying to remind us that it's not about the rest that we're pursuing. It's about why we're resting, that by resting, we are resting our identity in God. That whether we do something or whether we don't do something, God 
but still sovereign. God is still the same God that delivered us back in the day in Egypt and the same God that will continue to sustain us in 2019. And so, if you want to learn more about Sabbath, of course, you need to look for people who are really good at keeping Sabbath. And this is actually a very famous Jewish teacher at around 1940s and 50s. And his name's called Abraham Hersha. And I think he really summarized the essence of what Sabbath really means to us. Like, what does it mean to rest? What does it mean to practice Sabbath? And this is what he said. The meaning of the Sabbath is to celebrate time rather than space. The meaning of Sabbath is to celebrate time rather than space. Six days a week, we live under the tyranny of things of space, or things we're trying to accomplish, or things we're trying to gather. On the Sabbath day, we try to become attuned to the holiness and time. It is a day on which we are called upon to share in what is eternal in time, to turn from the results of creation to the mysteries of creation, from the world of creation to the creation of the world, from the world of creation to the creation of the world, and not just the creation of the world itself, but also the very creator that created this world. And so Sabbath is not so much just about physical rest. A lot of times we try to put our attention on trying to find a time and do nothing and just think about God. But that is just scratching the surface of what Sabbath really means. But rather, Jesus is telling us that when we are pursuing Sabbath, we are also trying to put our identity in him. And so what does that even mean? Like to our families, like how do we practice Sabbath? How do we put our identity back in God rather than how we raise our children, how we live up to expectations of our parents? How do we find approval from the people that we care about? Or in our school and workplace, is it so much about trying to find our worth in how well we do in school or how our friends up to us or how we compare ourselves with the friends that are doing well in school? Or is it even just like the world telling us that success is on how many zeros you have behind the number in your salary or how many promotions you get in a certain period of time or even how many awards or recognitions or distinctions you get from the government or even the people that we respect. And so to close off, I'd like to read a little bit of a story. Uh, I learned this from Willis when he does VBS that I always want to read a story book on, on a sermon. And I finally found the right time. And this book is actually called The Gifts of Nothing. So... <clears throat> The story goes that it was a very special day and and then there's this cat called Mooch and he wanted to give his best friend Earl, which is a dog, a gift. But he he doesn't know what to get. Like, what should I get Earl? He 
He already had a bowl. He already had a bed. He had a chewy toy. He had it all. Like, he had everything. Like, what else is there that I can possibly give to this, this friend? So much thought and thought. What do you get to someone who already has everything? What should we get to someone who already has everything? Nothing. There's nothing I can possibly give. Or maybe I can just give him the gift of nothing. So, but in this world filled with so many somethings, where could he find nothing? Much often heard Frank says there was nothing on TV. But as far as Bush could tell, there's always something on TV. Mush often heard Doozy and her friends said there was nothing to do. But as far as Mush could tell, everyone was always doing something. Millie came home from the store and said there was nothing to buy. So Mush went shopping. So many people, so much stuff. Mush looked up down and down every aisle. He found many, many, many something. And the latest this, the newest that, the trendiest this, and the trendiest that. But as far as he could tell, nothing was not for sale. So Mush went home and sat on his pillow and just stayed still as cats often do. And not looking for, for the thing that he was finding, he found nothing. So he went and got a box and put nothing in it. Then Mooch thought, hmm, maybe Earl deserves more than this. So he got a bigger box. Now that's plenty of nothing. So he gave this gift to Earl. For me, said Earl, Mooch, you didn't have to give me anything. Who told you this, thought Mooch. Who told you that I'm not going to give you anything? So Earl opened Mooch's gift. There's nothing here, said Earl. Yes, said Mooch, nothing. But me and you. And they hug each other. So Mooch and Earl just stay still and enjoyed nothing. And everything. So that was the story. So I think it's kind of like our relationship with God, that a lot of times in our pursuit for God, trying to earn our identity in God, that we're trying to think God has everything. God can do everything. And God knows everything. So what can we possibly do to earn our identity in God? But as Mush has found out, right, is actually just by doing nothing and giving yourself and creating that space to recognize that relationship they have with each other and to honor that relationship. That's when he found the biggest gift that Earl, or in our instance, God, can possibly give. And maybe that's the reflex that we can have in our world today, that maybe to your friends who aren't Christians, you might go up to them and they might ask, oh, how has your weekend been? You might say, oh, uh, it was good. I did nothing. And then they'll be like, that's a really weird flex that you're telling me. Like, you've got nothing done. Like, but maybe that's a good conversation to start showing your friends what does it mean 
that you're no longer building your identity in these things, but in the very creator that has always been looking for you, for a relationship. So as the worship team come up and lead us for a few songs, um, there might be things that you're struggling with or things that you're wondering that how can I practice Sabbath in my own lives? How can I regain that identity in God in a world that is always leading me away from finding our identity in God? It might be things that are internal, whether it might be your life goals, your, your wants, your, your desires, your, your need for success, or even the need for approval. Or it might be something external, whether it may be from people in your family, from your friends, from the expectations that you're trying to live up. Or even maybe you are all past that. You just don't know where to go from this point on. How can I start practicing Sabbath? It might be looking through the things in nature or the appreciation of the beauty of art that God has given us or even through the passions that God has blessed us with, or even the mysteries and the gift of life that we have never discovered in our, in our lives. And so I'd like to invite you to reflect upon these things. And if you ever feel interested, there are a bunch of papers and notes with um, passages about rest, and they're color-coded too, to these different categories. So maybe there's a, a thing that you're struggling with, to find identity in God, you can come and based on the thing that corresponds to the color, you can come up and take a sheet of paper to help with your reflection as you think about how you can build an identity in God. Let's pray. Father God, we come to you um, in trembling. A lot of times we try to look for things on earth which sometimes in our pursuit we might get lost and we will not know why we do these things. And these things slowly, we eventually turn strangely dim. And so may we continue to fix our eyes on you, Lord, that in the things that we do in this world, that we still find time to rest our identity in you. That no matter how um, the demands uh, that we face are crazy and unreasonable, that we still realize that no matter whether we accomplish or fail, succeed or stumble, that you are still the God that loves us dearly and have this amazing and gracious identity that you have given us. And in times where we continue to journey, where we don't know what's ahead of us, may you be with us. We thank you and in Christ's name. Amen.